0: Hey, everybody, this is Robin Morades, the director of the North Carolina Lawyer Assistance Program. Today, I'm joined by Ash, a tech and privacy lawyer who's also a great volunteer. Ash, thanks for being
1: with us. Thanks for having me, Robin.
0: So I linked to your article that you wrote for us in a very early edition of the Sidebar. You wrote an article on anonymity. Can you just walk us through how did this conversation about anonymity first come up that led you to write the article?
1: Well, there was a friend of mine who was in law school one or two years behind me, and he and I had uh, grown up in sobriety together in Charlotte, and uh, he showed up at Chapel Hill when I was a 2L or a 3L, and we became close in a new way. You know, we were previously close as people who were at about the same point in their sobriety, but then we became close as uh, young, well, I shouldn't say young, I was damn near 40 at the time, but uh, young-ish people in the professional law going through law school together, so we compared notes about lots of things as we were sort of traversing the landscape, and um, he, at some point, well, the, the story of judicial clerkships and anonymity was that I had breached my anonymity or disclosed my status as a recovering alcoholic to Chief Justice Burley Mitchell midway through my first year of law school because there had been an article in the Raleigh News and Observer announcing his appointment as Chief Justice. And I was so moved by the story that I basically wrote him a letter and said, uh, Dear Justice Mitchell, my name is Ash and I'm an alcoholic. And I spent the next three or four pages introducing myself to him with a short version of my story. And a lot of people around Carolina Law School knew that I had managed to meet Justice Mitchell that way. And, and that, that had turned into an internship and it later turned into a clerkship. Uh, and so it, it it just became something that a lot of people knew and they thought it was kind of cool. And Uh, My friend David uh, knew that it was pretty cool and he had an opportunity to do a clerkship. So he reached out to me to say, so what's your take on this whole thing of anonymity when it comes to job interviews and clerkships and things of that sort? And uh, that's what started the conversation.
0: So for our listeners who are maybe lawyers, but not recovering alcoholics, can you just give them an overview or a primer on the principle of anonymity that we follow within the traditions of 12-step recovery?
1: Well, I'll do the best I can. Um, uh, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The idea there is sometimes the messenger is a difficult personality, or somebody is uh, a messenger of a very worthwhile message, but they're just difficult to deal with, or you don't like them personally or something. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what they have to say isn't still valuable and important. And if somebody has a controversial personality, and they were to be publicly associated with the organization of AA, for example, Uh, It might not bring credit on AA, it might actually work in the opposite manner. So AA, I think, has taken the approach that the best way to deal with the potential for controversial personalities to uh, interfere with AA's mission uh, is to just make sure that we don't disclose the fact of our association with AA publicly, and that way it's harder for difficult people or controversial people to be uh, associated with AA in a negative way. So my sense is that the primary purpose behind the tradition of anonymity in, in Alcoholics Anonymous or any of the other 12-step programs is to protect the program from controversy that might be related to a particular individual. It also has the, the, the other purpose, which would be to protect individuals from being disclosed as in recovery, if such disclosure would cause some difficulty for an individual. And especially in early recovery, when we're real sensitive about what people say about us and think about us and whatnot. So it's a a layer of protection for the individual member so that among people who aren't aware of what they're doing, trying to be in recovery, they can maintain some sense of dignity and privacy.
0: And so what are the rules that we follow about busting our own or other people's anonymity?
1: It's pretty simple. I mean, it, to me, it's pretty clear cut. No disclosure of another person's association with a 12-step program to somebody outside the program ever. Uh, and no disclosure of anybody's association with a 12-step program at the level of press, radio, and film. Although I think that particular prohibition against disclosure is becoming eroded somewhat by the era of the internet and social media and things of that sort.
0: Yep. So what are your thoughts on personal anonymity?
1: Well, when I first got sober, I knew two people who had gotten sober before me. And had they been highly protective of their anonymity, if they had been highly protective of their status as members of the 12-step program or if they had been highly protective of their uh, you know I'm in recovery I don't drink I don't use drugs I wouldn't have known where to turn when I reached a point in my life when I needed to reach out to somebody I wouldn't have known where to go I mean it's not like you see signs for treatment well you do see a lot more signs for treatment centers nowadays than you used to But 33 years ago, when I put down the bottle, you know, if you didn't know somebody who was in recovery, I'm not sure that the average person would know where to turn. I'm so grateful to those people for letting me know that they were in recovery because now I have a resource that I can reach out to, you know, the flimsy reed as I float down the river that I can stop that trajectory over the waterfall and climb out of the lake of addiction, um, you know, and that's, so my attitude toward it is, I'm just giving freely of that which was given freely to me.
0: How do you see anonymity tying into the idea of stigma?
1: You know, that's a great question. And, And I'm so emotionally annoyed with the whole concept of stigma these days, because, you know, we as a society, we have stigmatized a lot of things. For reasons that may have had a lot of merit at some point in the past, but in this day and age, I just find them almost offensive because they're, they're, they're based on a fiction of some sort, some kind of fabrication, some kind of social construct that just, to me, does not have a place in modern life. Give you an example. One is we talk about uh, when we talk, and Robin, you and I have talked about this. We talk about death. We don't say that somebody died, we say that they passed away. And we have these euphemisms for things that are just part of life because we're apparently, for some reason, uncomfortable talking about what's really there. I think stigma is just such a toxic thing in our society, and it is a social construct. I just don't think I believe that people are naturally born with a sense of modesty about something or uh, privacy about a particular thing. It's a social construct, and we need to overcome those things. We need to battle those things. That's just my opinion, of course. So the stigma around recovery is based on another fiction, and the fiction is that people have control of their, their actions. Well, that's bullshit you know, people don't have control of of their actions as much as the law and society thinks they do. And so the fact that somebody's in recovery means that that person is an alcoholic or a drug addict. And so there's a stigma associated with that because people think there's a lack of willpower that led to it or a moral failing that led to it. But that's not what addiction is. Addiction is a physiological, biochemical problem of some sort. It is a medical issue. I shouldn't apologize for being in recovery. I shouldn't feel stigmatized for being in recovery or being an addict any more than I should apologize for having an allergy or having diabetes or getting cancer. So I'm I'm just, I'm a, a gladiator against the whole idea of stigma in all areas of our society, and in particular, stigma around areas of uh, that deal with mental health and substance abuse. I just I think it's a tragedy of our society that more people haven't been willing to stand up and say, "I'm not going to be stigmatized by this ridiculous social construct." So I'm, I'm not going to be. And I think there seems to be a movement among younger people in recovery uh, to be open about their recovery they're much more likely to just matter of factly, even at the level of press radio and film say I'm in recovery. Uh, I think we're seeing some high profile celebrities talk about it openly. um, And I think even though it violates the tradition for me to say this, I think, uh, I think that's a good thing. I think this tradition needs to be revisited because it does contribute to the stigmatization as long as we are quiet about it and not open and transparent about it it continues to have power over us and it continues to leave society thinking it's a shameful thing to be an addict or an alcoholic when nothing could be further from the truth.
0: Did you ever see the movie The Anonymous People? I did not. It's a documentary about Something like 30 million people are in recovery, and it's the largest single silent majority of a major public health issue ever in the history of this country. And the documentary is noting that uh, lawmakers do not realize, because we are so anonymous, lawmakers do not realize the magnitude of people in recovery. It's a pretty interesting documentary. You should check it out.
1: I will check it out. Absolutely.
0: I have a friend who works at the Department of Environmental Protection in Florida. And whenever they promulgate a new rule, they get sued by both sides, the environmentalist and the business entities. That's how he jokes that he must have gotten and they must have gotten it right. They're getting sued by both sides.
1: <laughs>
0: and when I first came to this job about 10 years ago, I don't know that I've ever told you this story. It was a Monday. I remember that it was a Monday. And within about 30 minutes, I had gotten a call and a voicemail from you saying that we were too confidential, too anonymous, which was going to lead to fears of stigma. And about 30 minutes later, I got a voicemail from another volunteer who said, we weren't anonymous and confidential enough and that people were going to be afraid to come to the program. So I guess we are striking the right balance. <laughs> but what has been your experience with experiencing stigma in terms of coming out about your recovery, being open about your recovery? Have you ever experienced any ramifications that are stigma-based?
1: Yes, I have seen some issues come up that were stigma-based. You know, I have lost business opportunities because people didn't want to be associated with the person that they knew was in recovery. I've done some talks on behalf of lawyers' assistance program and other things, so it's widely known among attorneys in the Charlotte area and um, among a number of business folks in the Charlotte area that I am in recovery. Uh, it's not a secret, and there are occasions where I find out that people are excluding me from some business opportunity or professional opportunity because I'm a stick in the mud or something like that, or they don't want to be associated with that person. And I knew going in that that was a potential issue. I knew before I started disclosing the fact of my recovery to people. I knew that it was possible that some people, because of the social stigmas and professional stigmas that are in this area, I knew that this would come with a price. And I just decided, well, I'd rather pay that price than some other price.
0: Sure. Well, I was going to ask as a final follow-up, but you led with it about the fact that you clerked for Chief Justice Burley Mitchell, and that was a direct result of your busting your own anonymity.
1: Well, it's funny because I just now realized sitting here uh, that if it hadn't been for that experience, my friend David would never have asked me the question. I guess he was in his third year and I must have been in my clerkship at the time. And uh, he had an opportunity for a clerkship out in California. And something happened uh, in his interaction with the judge. He had had a a phone interview or something, and the judge had invited him to come out. and He said, "You know, we'll have an interview. You'll meet my other clerks, and then we'll all go out for cocktails and dinner or something like that." Mm. And David was suddenly confronted with, uh, "Oh no, what do I do?" You know, and and I think we all in recovery have these moments where we're going to be offered a cocktail or somebody's going to want to hand you a beer at a tailgate or something like that, and. What do you do? What do you say? Well, in recovery, you learn what to do and what to say. But he'd never had it come up in a professional context like that before. And he just was looking for a little perspective. And we batted this discussion back and forth via email for a couple of days. Uh, So it's just another one of those things. If I had never had the thought that it might be a good idea to let the incoming chief justice know who I am and that I thoroughly support his initiatives in the world of substance abuse, I would never have. Uh...
0: Me- meaning the drug courts and things yeah. like that, that he got started.
1: Yeah. Cause he said in the article that I read that got me interested in this uh, or excuse me, interested in meeting him. He said in the article that he was a wild child as a young man. And he had dropped out of high school at the age of 15 and joined the Marine Corps. When they found out how old he was, they kicked him out. So he went back to high school, dropped out when he was 17 and joined the Navy and became a SEAL. You know, he was he was he was marching to the beat of his own drummer the way I was marching to the beat of my own drummer. I wasn't playing by the rules put out for me by society and neither was he. So when I read all that about him and when he talked so openly about the fact that he had abused alcohol and that there were many times when Sheriff Baker up in Wake County should have taken him to jail instead of taking him home to his mom and dad. And then he said the biggest issues facing society are drug addiction and alcohol abuse, and we need to work on it. And he stated in the article, which I have still, that his top priority as chief justice would be to address those issues as much as he could from the perch of being the chief. And, and I was so moved by his personal candor about his own personal story. And I was so moved by his understanding of something that so many people in polite society don't understand. And his willingness to put himself out there, I thought, I gotta meet this guy. you know. So I, I, I wrote him this letter. And, um, you know, so if it hadn't been for, first off, his candor and transparency and authenticity about who he is and where he came from, if it hadn't been for that, I don't know that I would have felt as empowered to be as candid as I was, then my candor led to my friend David wanting to know more and how did I handle it and how might he handle it and what are the pluses and minuses of doing it. You know, so it's all, you know, this is a 30-year-old adventure that uh, was started by somebody else who wasn't even in recovery. But I just thought if, if the Chief Justice can get up in front of people on the Raleigh News and Observer and make this disclosure about himself that's not exactly flattering, who am I to not follow that example of leadership?
0: So do you have any final thoughts or comments for our listeners?
1: Golly, that's a tough question. I just feel like we ought to, as a population of people in recovery, and I'm assuming that a significant percentage of the people who hear this podcast are in recovery, we just need to be aware that as we're out in the world in recovery, we are in many ways the representative of recovery to the people out in the world who are not in recovery. And so I think that that's one of the things that helps me try to behave. You know, I want to be a good representative for this thing that has done so much for me and given me a life back. Uh, So that's one thing. The more I am open about the fact of my recovery, the fact of my addiction, the fact of my alcoholism, the more important it is for me to act properly so that I am a good representative of recovery and a good representative of what it looks like when recovery doesn't have power over you anymore because recovery is the thing that has empowered you going forward. So uh, as I think about this, I think that in a manner of speaking, it's kind of like an accountability buddy. By letting people out in the world know that I am in recovery I am setting up a scenario in which it's harder for me to misbehave. It would be harder for me to relapse because everybody knows that I am in recovery and that it's not okay for me to be drinking alcohol or carrying on in whatever inappropriate manner it is that I might go out into the world. And I'm a pretty strong personality. I'm very brash. And one of the things that keeps that in check to the extent that it's in check is I don't want to go out in the world and become one of those highly controversial people that everybody looks at and says, oh, that guy's a whack job. Let's not worry about him. And I guess I am kind of of the opinion that I want to be real. I want to be who I really am. But I want to behave in a manner that is a credit to me. It's a credit to recovery, and it's a credit to an authentic life.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Robin, it was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you for joining us at The Sidebar. If this is your first time, we encourage you to listen to another episode or two, subscribe to our newsletter, and peruse the resources at www.nclap.org. And if you know a lawyer who could use a hand, please share this episode with them today. Remember, at Sidebar, you are not alone. In fact, you are in quite good company.